Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. My name is Valerie and you're listening to Aphrodite's Oracle. Today we start with the sacred masculine archetypes or the divine masculine god archetypes. And we're beginning with Zeus. He is the all-father or the ruler And just to recap, I want to give, in case you are just joining here for the masculine archetypes, an archetype is a typical character in literature. It is a typified character, action, or situation that seems to represent universal patterns of human nature. An archetype is also known as a universal symbol a character, a theme, or even a setting. So you have, for example, as a setting archetype, the heaven and hell archetypes. And the reason why we use gods and goddesses as archetypes is because they have been separated out into specific personality types that go along with the way that they were worshipped when they were the only way that ancient civilizations were recognizing and co-creating with divinity. And for the masculine, we have Zeus, Poseidon, Ares, Hephaestus, Hermes, Dionysus, and Apollo. We're going to go through all of those. Each will have its own separate episode. But today we begin with Zeus. And as a quick summation of the modern man, a a broad brushstroke, if you will, I will give you a quick summation and we will paint the whole picture in as we go. But Zeus is characteristically on the lookout for what he wants or needs to acquire It could be a particular product, a potential business, an employee, a company, a partner, romantic or otherwise. And when he spots what he wants, when he sees it, uh, he goes after it in a single-minded fashion. And what's different about Zeus is he has an overview perspective, so he can see the the big picture but also the awareness of the important details, which is his gift. And when he focuses in on the detail, it has his uh, undivided attention, and he has no, in- no intention of letting it go or letting it out of his sight or out of his, um, his grasp. So that's just a broad brush stroke on the modern man as typified by the Zeus archetype. But I also want to start even further back, before the gods of Mount Olympus, before the Olympians, we had the Titans, and maybe you've heard of uh, Prometheus or Helios or Atlas. These are all also archetypes, which we won't be going into because those are the Titan archetypes. Now, who were the Titans? They were the deities in Greek mythology that existed before the Olympians, They were the children of the primordial deities, Uranus, which is heaven, and Gaia, which is earth. And the two of them together 
created the Titans. There was a prophecy during the time of their reign that said that one of their sons would eventually overthrow the Titan dynasty. And so the leader of the Titans, Cronus, he did everything he could to prevent this. However, the prophecy did come true and Zeus managed to dethrone him. He dethroned his own father. And this ended the age of the Titans. The Titans were a powerful race that ruled the entire world before the Olympians did. And this is known as the golden age of men. Actually, they were immortal giants of incredible strength and knowledge of old religions and rituals and magic. And they are also known as the elder gods. I just, I just thought of something. If you guys have ever seen Game of Thrones, there are different sets of gods. Like, do you worship the new gods or the old gods? It's kind of like that. The Titans were the old gods and the Olympians were the new gods. I know it's kind of wild to wrap your head around that because to us, they're all just ancient. But at the time, that was the way of, of separating uh, gods and Titans. Okay, and I already talked about how some of the more well-known Titans, Prometheus, Helios, of course, is uh, god of the sun, which was replaced by ha uh, Apollo. And then you have Atlas, who's, you know, he's holding up the world. Uh, he's holding the world on his back. In Greek mythology, this war between the two sets of, of deities was known as the Titanomachy. And this was a 10-year series of battles fought in Thessaly. So this event is known as many names. The Titanomachy is the most uh, prevalent, but it's also called War of the Titans, Battle of the Titans, Battle of the Gods, or just the Titan War. The war was fought to decide which generation of gods would have dominion over the universe, and it ended with Zeus being uh, the all-victorious one here. And after this great battle, Zeus and his two brothers, Poseidon and Hades, they divided the world into three parts. Zeus was ruler of the sky, Poseidon ruler of the sea, and Hades ruler of the underworld. So in this way, Zeus was the first of the gods, and he's often referred to the father of gods and men. He's the sky god who controls lightning, and he can use this as a weapon and also thunder. He's the king of Mount Olympus, which is where all the Greek gods uh, and goddesses live. And he rules the world, imposing his own will onto all the other gods and even uh, mortals. He is the Greek equivalent to the Roman god Jupiter, often referred to as the father, as the god of thunder, or even the cloud gatherer. Zeus controlled the weather, offered signs and omens, and generally was looked at as a judge, which would guarantee order among uh, the gods themselves and also on earth among humans. He would sit on his golden throne on Mount Olympus and be able to rule from that space. So remember I talked about earlier how he had an, an overview 
of how everything was running, but also the details did not slip him. Mortal kings would claim that they were descendants of Zeus. And you'll, you'll see this theme commonly woven throughout history of different lineages. In Egypt, the pharaoh was thought to be descendant from God as well. So it's really nothing new to Greek origin. So because of his role as the great seat of justice, there were oftentimes terrible punishments that Zeus would inflict. He was also a peacemaker, though, famously reconciling Apollo and Hermes when they fought over the first lyre, L-Y-R-E, the instrument. Similarly, there was a conflict between Apollo and Hercules over the Oracle of Delphi, and he was able to make peace between them, and he also persuaded Hades to part with Persephone for part of the year so that her mother, Demeter, would stop killing everything on earth out of sadness. And if you guys know, if you guys have listened to the episodes about Demeter and Persephone, then you know the story there. It's Demeter gets so upset because her daughter is in the underworld that winter comes and everything dies. And Zeus persuaded Hades to part with Persephone for half of the year, which we call summer and spring when everything can be beautiful and full of life. The legend is that at his feet, uh, the feet of his throne, Zeus had what is known as the jars of fate. One was full of, of bad things and malicious intentions, and the other was full of good things and love and beauty. And he would dispense these based on, on justice. So whatever he felt was just, he would you know pour over the jar of, of malicious intent or the jar of beauty and good things. And this is another piece of the story. At the time of death, you were carefully weighed on the scales of Zeus. He had golden scales and he would weigh your life to see how much good and how much bad. And that is also an Egyptian concept, guys. The Egyptian goddess Amat, M-A-A-T, she would weigh your heart against the weight of a feather on a scale at your time of, of death. And whatever, if your heart was lighter than a feather, then you, you know, lived life in a, in a very upstanding and correct way. Although if it was heavier than a feather, then you would be sent back to earth for another reincarnation to try to, to try to do better. I've talked about the Oracle of Delphi quite a bit, and I love that topic, but Zeus also had an Oracle and his was the oldest at Dodona in northern Greece, where priests, not a priestess this time, it was a priest, they served as an oracle. What is an oracle? It is a person acting as a medium through which advice or prophecy was sought from the gods themselves. And this is in classical antiquity. These Oracles were thought to literally be the voice or the mouthpiece of the god or goddess that they were connected with. And Zeus's oracle interpreted the sounds from the wind in the branches of the sacred oak trees and also the water from the holy spring that was nearby to give 
advice on situations. Another great sanctuary dedicated to Zeus was at Olympia, where every four years the Olympic Games would happen. And this was to honor Zeus, the father of the gods. In mythology, Zeus had a reputation for being quite vengeful. The titan Prometheus was a victim of this, and uh, Prometheus was condemned to have his liver eaten by an eagle every day. Every day he would wake up and have to relive that every single day, and this was his punishment for stealing fire from the gods and giving it to, to humans. Also, Atlas had to support the heavens for eternity because of his role in the Titanomachy, which you guys know, that's a weird word. I, I, it's, it is odd, but it is the word that represents the war between the Olympians and the Titans. In mythology, it's also well known that Zeus had many affairs with various women. However, he would severely punish anybody who attempted to escort or fall in love with his own wife, Hera. In fact, Zeus was infamous for his erotic endeavors, and this resulted in many divine and heroic children, including Athena, Apollo, and Artemis, who are the twins, Hermes, Persephone, Dionysus, Perseus, Hercules, Helen of Troy, and even the Muses were all children of Zeus. Now, a word on the Muses. Who are they? In ancient Greek religion and mythology, the Muses are the inspirational feminine figures or lesser goddesses because they're just the Muses. They don't have particular names. But they were the Muses of literature, science, and the arts. They were considered the source of the knowledge embodied in poetry and myths that were retold for centuries in the Greek culture. In current English usage, the word muse is generally referred to a person who inspires an artist or a musician or a writer to get into the space to create. It's, it's known as a muse. According to Hesoid's work and days, his creation there. Zeus was a carefree god who loved to laugh. He was wise, fair, just, merciful, and prudent. But he was also unpredictable because nobody was able to guess the decisions he would make in regards to justice. As the king of the gods, Zeus has a responsibility to maintain order, and as long as order is maintained, he wants to go out and play. Now, in the modern man, the best person that I saw referenced during my research to embody this archetype is actually Donald Trump. And a lot of this was written even before he was president, which the fact that he's president is even more fitting. But Zeus is that energy that's constantly striving to gain power and establish a realm. Zeus had the ambition and the ability to establish a realm over which he was the chief. And 
the urge to have this or preside over your own territory, this is a major drive for this particular archetype. When this is the main archetype, the need to establish a kingdom, so to speak, is a driving force. And at the very least, he would think that a man's home is his castle. He would want a house and a family. This is his like dominion. He wants to be the king of this, a king of his own castle. This archetype creates a drive in a man to want to like get married, have children. Here's the key though. This archetype will see them as extensions of himself. He's interested in dynasties. He wants to be the head of a powerful family that he founded all on his own. Or if he was born into an already well-established namesake, he wants to extend the boundaries of that kingdom. In his home life, he expects his wife to run the household extremely well, mostly by herself, and yet he wants the parenting to be to his own liking, his own satisfaction, even though he may be minimally involved in the parenting just because he is out creating this kingdom, this dominion. A family is only one part of the larger motivating vision that he is using to establish his own kingdom. Zeus seeks power and authority and he will take risks to reach his goals and he would rather be his own boss than work for somebody else. Very archetypal features here. A successful Zeus figure Uh, He works cooperatively with other powerful men. He actually excels there in that space, forging alliances and determining boundaries, uh, etc. He wants to deal with others who have authority and are decisive. As far as marriage and family, um, hmm, for Zeus, finding a suitable, so to speak, wife is not really a matter of uh, an emotional connection, which this creates some issues down the line. But in fairness, Zeus is cut off from that part of himself until he's forced to take a look at it, which we'll get to at the end here. But he's not looking for a wife to feel emotionally connected to. He wants to make an alliance to serve the goal of establishing or consolidating the realm, so to speak. Other archetypes need to be present if the relationship is going to have passion or friendship or anything else besides really just kind of those old school marriages where you marry someone to get more land or get more power. This is the Zeus mindset. He also considers his money and his power and an, an, I can't speak, an essential part of his attractiveness and it makes him feel entitled to pursue certain women as a father he is a mentor who guides his children's education and and possibly their careers he expects loyalty for this in return and he'll even be a, a guide or a mentor for other younger people who are maybe in his professional or business world If the child or the younger person grows up and then has a differing 
opinion to him, he takes this personally and can be, um, he can feel betrayed. Zeus is archetypally an authoritarian father who has the final word. He may have open lines of communication with his children, but family and business decisions are made in the spirit of, okay, I'll be democratic all the way to the point of decision. Then I will become this ruthless commander. Say, okay, I've heard everyone. Now here's what we're going to do. He always has the final say, and this is important to him. And as I was researching, I, I saw that former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger said power is an aphrodisiac. This Zeus archetype sees himself as an important man, and this is what he expects women to be attracted to, and some, some women are. But he doesn't go after a relationship looking for emotional ties, as we talked about, with women, he sees them as just another extension of, of his work, and he's kind of like a strategist. So if, if he wants to go on a date or hire a woman, or this is very, I just feel this is very Donald Trump, but he will present himself in whatever form is more likely to win her, whatever he thinks like she wants, he just uses that strategy. But power and paranoia can often come together. So men at the top have fear of being overthrown and they become suspicious of motives and loyalties and they may even try to stop the growth of others lest they become too strong and then create the very enemies that they feared and i think that this is rooted way back to the titanomachy because remember zeus was the one who overthrew his own father so he has that uh pathway already laid in his mind how can this archetype expand and grow well first there are issues stemming from him being emotionally detached for decades and possibly a little cutthroat when it comes to getting what he thinks he wants at the time so he has less interest in fostering an emotional intelligence within his his self a Zeus man often remains unaware that he even has problems or needs to grow in this way until a major crisis makes it impossible for him to, to go on in the same way or ignore what's going on in his body. Growth for the Zeus man often begins only after he experiences humility and vulnerability. But it's hard for him to see that there's anything wrong and the message that something is wrong needs to like get through to him because he has a lack of introspection. It doesn't go within a lot. He's very outward focused. He sees the world as his realm. So he's not focusing on his internal world, his own internal sanctuary. And we'll get to that more when we talk about Hades because introspection is his realm. But because of this emotional distance, he's not likely to get the picture that he is dreadfully cut off from himself or others until something drastic happens and he becomes painfully aware that something is wrong. And the problem usually stems from the fact that this archetype views everything as a matter of will or might and muscling through anything that can be considered harsh emotionally. This could also 
be a defense mechanism that was developed early in life as a way to cope with any strong emotions. A Zeus man might very well have serious medical issues because of his inability to look within and feel his own body. Oftentimes this does result in a heart attack and it is actually very symbolic that his heart ends up being the thing that ails him because it's what he's cut off from. His heart may abruptly disrupt his life in another way. So he may get a heart attack, which literally his body attacking itself, or he might, maybe, he could fall in love. And it's like struck with this arrow of love that he can't control. So he could be irresistibly drawn by his subconscious to somebody and like kind of feel like he can't do his normal work or do his normal way of being with other women because he's he's focused or he feels drawn. So in this way, Zeus's heart may, after all, end up being his biggest problem. You know, he ignored it all of his life, or he's ignored it for quite some time, resulting in a medical issue, a heart attack, or uh, deep and unexplainable feelings towards another person that causes reason and responsibility to kind of go out the window. Zeus's tendency to live in his head forces him to cut off his bodily experiences or his sensual self. He can keep himself in good shape, uh, whatever, but that is mastery over the physical body. It's not enjoyment of it. So if he's cut off from his heart and unable to communicate or connect with others, you can only go like that for so long. Zeus is busy building his realm and building his castle. He may not realize that something is a problem until later in life. Another way that the Zeus man can grow is identification of the ego with the powers of this archetype. It can result in an ego inflation. So the ego gets puffed up, it acts proud, pompous, vain, presumptuous. And then when you're caught in this mess, our ego tries to take credit for the transcendent qualities of the self, self with a capital S. So the spirit within is really the one who's your internal driver. And because of the way the Zeus man is living his life, he likes to take credit for his his accomplishments in a way that doesn't give back to the higher power. And this could also be a danger of the archetype. As the ultimate authority, the Zeus archetype comes closest to embodying the archetype of the self. And the self is a Jungian term for the absolute. Jungian is Carl Jung. It is the ordering and unifying principle which guides the process of spiritual development. So if the Zeus man can find that balance. He's so close to having it all. So close to having it all. We sense the quality of the self when we can envision our future selves actualizing our spiritual potential. The self uh, is the God image in our psyches. It represents the fullest extension and potential of an individual. It provides transcendent experience of the highest spiritual value. 
All right, guys, that's the episode on Zeus, the ruler, the king of Mount Olympus. And I just want to thank you so much for listening and keeping up with these episodes. If you guys have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me and we'll see you next time.